0: It's our time indeed. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, Jesus He says, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he says again in verse 14, "You are the light of the world." Well, people who have decided to follow Jesus and make him the leader of of their lives, and that's you. If you've decided to follow Jesus and make him the leader of your life, then the Bible tells us that you are saved. That means that you are redeemed. That means that you're a child of the Almighty God, and that means that Jesus in these verses is talking about you. Have you ever met a nun? A nun? Anybody met a nun before? Yeah? Okay. All right. You've seen nuns. Some of you are a little older. Remember the flying nun? For the little younger, well, the sound of music. Everybody knows the sound of music, right? You've all seen nuns on TV shows or on movies. Not many of us have seen nuns in real life, but if you have, it's unmistakable. Now, if a person, if a person sees a nun in real life, right? Not on a TV screen or on a movie screen, but in real life, if you see a nun, you typically have one of two reactions. One of two reactions. The first reaction that you would have when you see a nun is is one of, of uh, and this is This varies based on moderate and sometimes extreme levels of this, but you look at a nun with some level of disdain or frustration or anger or disappointment, and that's largely tied into that person's experience with what that nun represents, so the nun represents uh, to individuals religion or Christianity or the Catholic Church or whatever the case may be. And there may be some, some experiences or some deep-rooted issues that a person has with those things that when they see a nun, they then associate the nun with, that, with those things, right? So some levels, some various levels of of, um, uh, disappointment and frustration and anger and hurt and pain. That's one reaction. Another reaction is to see a nun and to have some level, some moderate to severe level of curiosity. You see a nun and a person will wonder, well, what what is it that caused them to make that decision for their life? What is it about this person that where they decided they wanted to commit their existence to being a nun? It gets you kind of wondering who is this person? What was their life like? What were their experiences? Where did they, where did they grow up? What is it like to be a nun? These are questions that people will have. And so those, those two reactions, people fall into either one of those two camps. Again, uh, it varies based on either moderate levels of that reaction or severe ones. But either they look at a nun and they have some level of disdain or anger or frustration or disappointment because of what that nun represents Or they look at a nun with some curiosity, wondering what it is about that nun that caused them to make that choice. Similarly, when an unbelieving world, and when I say that, when I say an unbelieving world, I'm specifically referencing those in the world that have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as a person, Lord, and Savior. When an unbelieving world sees a Jesus follower... When an unbelieving world sees a Jesus follower, they should also have one of two reactions. Either an unbelieving world will see a Jesus follower and have some various level of anger or frustration or disappointment or pain or... or. Um, uh, I can't running out of adjectives, but words that would associate some level of pain. They see a believer, and they associate that believer with those experiences. Or an unbelieving world will look at a believer, and they will have some moderate to strong level of curiosity, Wondering what is it about this believer that's that's different for me? Why would someone choose to follow Jesus? Why would someone choose to believe that there is a God and that that He loves He loves me? Why would someone choose to do that? Or what is it that that person's figured out? Or what is it that that person has that I don't? So if we're going to do one plus one equals two, then then we, we could conclude that if an unbelieving world, if those who have yet to follow Jesus Christ as their person, Lord, and Savior, if they look at you and they don't have one of those two reactions, then you are not living your life and following Jesus in an obvious way. That if your commitment to Jesus, if you living your life for Jesus Christ and following him is not causing an unbelieving world to have some moderate to strong level of, of frustration or, or or anger towards you because of what you represent, or if they're not having some moderate to, to, to strong level of curiosity because of what you've chosen to believe in and follow, then you're not following Jesus in an obvious way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20, verse 20, it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I did a message about this a handful of months ago, and we looked at what does it mean to be an ambassador. It literally means to be a, a representative, to represent, in this case, Jesus to the world. And when we represent Jesus to an unbelieving world, God makes his appeal through us. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That's the beauty of the church, is that when we are serious about following Jesus, when it's so obvious to those around us, especially in unbelieving world, God works through us and makes this appeal to those that have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. God makes an appeal to them to open their eyes and their hearts to Jesus Christ. So how is it, how do we become obvious followers of Jesus? How do we become obvious followers of Jesus? How does an unbelieving world recognizing, recognize God's church? How does an unbelieving world recognize God's people? I believe that the way an unbelieving world recognizes a Jesus follower is when that Jesus follower commits to having a habit of praise. Having a habit of praise. Now, when you and I, when we wake up in the morning, so when you woke up this morning, you all stood in front of your closet. Now this 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 whole experience has different levels, all right? We all kind of maybe some of you will stand in front of a closet and it takes moments, it takes seconds, while some of you stand in front of a closet for what seems like hours before you decide what it is that you're gonna wear, right? Now here here's a representation of my closet. Now these are my shirts available after the service for ten ninety-five. But like you, I stand in front of my closet, and I wonder, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to put on? And, and that decision it goes through kind of a process that includes all sorts of different variables. You know, what mood am I in? You know, did I, did I wake up this morning feeling kind of uh, happy and chipper, and maybe I want to wear something kind of bold and bright? Uh, did I wake up in the, in the morning uh, today and, and feel kind of down and, and discouraged, and maybe I want to wear something a little dark, or do I want to wear black in order to look a little bit more trim? Am I going out today at all? Uh, do I have meetings, or am I just being, doing a Zoom meeting? Uh, if that's the case, then all I have to worry about is from here up, right? Don't, I have, don't even have to put, put on pants today. Or maybe maybe it's something as simple for some of you like this and you're not going to admit it, but I know it's true. This is how you decide. All right, that's good. All right, we can do one more day with that. We go through, we go through this process of deciding what it is that we're... But here's the deal. You don't think about it. Even though you process through it, it's, it's become such a habit for you to stand in front of your closet every morning and wonder what you're going to wear to process through that. That's just something that you have habitually become accustomed to. It's a process that you go through without even thinking about it. That's the epitome of a habit. Our decision is ultimately made, and then we go on with our day. It's a routine that we do every single day. We stand in front of our closet. We assess what it is that's in our closet, and then we make a decision and put it on. It becomes a habit it's become a habit we don't even think about it it just happens so what is a habit that's a word that's used quite often what is that well webster's definition which is always my first uh place that i go to when i look at words makes sense right but the definition for habit in Webster's um, Dictionary is an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. Where did this word come from? I think that this is actually very interesting. It sheds some light, actually, on how it, how it not only originated, but how it interacts with us today. See, originally, the word habit, it comes from the ancient word gob. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. And there's no one here to verify that. But it's gab, and it's meaning to give or receive. And this word moved through civilizations and centuries and eventually morphed into the word haber. Haber. And haber means to have, to wear, to be situated, to have in mind. That's interesting. Well, this word eventually morphed into the French word "habi." Habi, meaning clothing conduct. We're getting a little closer. The English then picked up the word in the early 13th century, and that word mainly referred to any sort of clerical dress, nuns, monks, etc. And then by the early 14th century, the English also started using that word habit habit. To refer to anything that resembled customary practices not just dress and then by the late 14th century the word habit could literally refer to any type of clothing now however when we think of habit not only do we consider that word that we saw there in the dictionary or heard there in the dictionary But now the current meaning of the word refers to any member of the clerical Christian order and the dress in which they wear, specifically nuns. So if you didn't know that, which I'm assuming most, if not all of you, did, the habit is what the nuns call their, their dress. So if we consider the current meaning of the word habit and its history, that I just went through, if we consider both those things, we would find that the word habit actually has two meanings. How a person clothes themselves on the inside and how a person clothes themselves on the outside. That's interesting. Now, we, we talked a little bit about what it's like to stand in front of our own closets, and we can all picture our closets and picture that process and how we habitually go through that. We don't even think about it just happens we stand and we ponder what are we gonna wear what are we gonna wear well a nun has a much different experience you see a nun a nun's closet looks somewhat like this some of you are wondering why do I have three nun costumes well that is none of your business But a nun's closet looks a little bit like this, right? See, a nun, when, they, when a nun wakes up in the morning, think about this. Imagine yourself being a nun and waking up in the morning. A nun doesn't stand in front of her closet and then ponder and wonder what she's going to put on that day. She knows. Because it's just like every other day. It's just like the day before, it's just like the week before, it's just like tomorrow, it's going to be like a month from now. Every single day when she wakes up, she's going to stand in front of that closet and know that she's going to put on the habit. You see how those words are connecting now? She automatically knows each morning that she's going to put on the habit. It's become a routine that she does every single day. Thus, it's become a habit to put on her habit. And she doesn't even have to think about it. It just happens. Here's the parallel. That's how you and I as Christ followers, as Jesus followers, as people who have decided to follow Jesus and make him the leader of your life, That's how it is that we should approach every single day, in that every single day when we wake up, we should stand in front of our proverbial closet and not wonder, not ponder what we're going to put on that day. Rather, we should just know. We should just know that today we're going to put on a habit of praise, David Crowder, if you're familiar with who he is, a songwriter, a worship leader, he's been around now for a couple of decades. If you saw a picture of him, you, he would look like he just stepped out of the West Virginia mountains, <laughs> he, uh, but he's an incredible uh, uh, guy and written some songs that you've sung many times that you probably haven't associated with him. He wrote a book about this called Praise Habit, highly recommend it. And uh, he talks about this relationship between the nun's habits and then how it is that we should be waking up each morning knowing that we're going to put on the habit of praise. We should not stand in front of our closet wondering what we're going to put on. Instead, we should just know that we're going to put that on I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling in my ministry career, and one of the things that I always do, that I always highlight, I start off with this and then I talk about it consistently through our time together, is is my job is not to set a couple up for success for their wedding day. I'm actually much more concerned about the day after and then the day after that Many couples spend so much time and money preparing for a day and not very much time and effort preparing for every day that follows. Because many couples are under the assumption that if they say, I do, on that wedding day, that it somehow solidifies and cements this commitment that's going to last for all time. And then 20 years go down the road and they, they, they wonder, what happened? What happened? We started here. How did we get here? I've talked about this before, too, about magnets. And as we were kids, we liked taking magnets and trying to push them together and, and feel that resistance. And maybe as adults, you like to do that because there's a kid in each of us. And, and with magnets, you know, we, we, we have to push them together in order for them to touch. We have to actually resist that force that would cause them to separate. That's the way it is with every single relationship. Not just a marriage relationship, but every friend relationship, every family relationship, let alone your relationship with God. In that, every relationship starts out like this, in some way, shape, or form. But the trajectory for every relationship is to naturally and instinctually go like this. Because sin is in the world. Because we are fickle, because we forget so easily. I've ta- I, I mentioned this first service, but listen, there is not an infinite amount of subjects that a pastor can talk about. I mean, I'm going to you know, be preaching here for years, and, and my, sometimes I feel like my job is to convince you that you've never heard this before, but you've heard it probably many times. But the reason why it feels like you've not heard it before sometimes, the reason why it feels like something's been revealed to you in a way that never is never before is because we're so fickle. We forget so easily. That's why the Bible says take up your cross on a daily basis. Every day take on the cross of Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day, not because you need to be saved every day, but because we need to live according to the gospel and we forget. It's like when we go to bed and we fall asleep, our our brain resets, right? And we wake up the next morning and a lot of times we forget, many times we forget, And so with relationships, relationships naturally go like this. This is the the natural, sinful, instinctual tendency for every relationship. And so what relationships require, what marriage relationships require, what friendship relationships require, what family relationships require, and then certainly what our relationship with God requires is that every single day we resist that force that would cause us to separate. Every single day, we counteract that force that would cause us to separate by daily committing. That's how it is that we form habits. I mean, if you want to look at, at, at you know, habits that maybe you're trying to work on in your own life, you're know, trying to work on exercising a little bit more. They say 30 days or whatever the case, that number is. But you commit to doing something on a daily basis. I remember I started drinking coffee to impress a girl in college. She loved coffee. And I really liked her. And then I thought coffee was disgusting. And so we would go to these coffee shops, right? And I'm not like showing her my cards. And she'd be like, yeah, get me this thing there, blah, 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 blah. This was back when before, you know, there was a Starbucks in every corner. And I would go up to the counter and I'd be like, yeah, um, yeah, if you could get me, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'd get that and I would put as much cream and sugar into that coffee as possible. And I still thought it was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. And then I remember, I remember one day drinking a cup of coffee and thinking i really like this and now i'm at a point where i like I, I can't imagine my day or my life without it that's how it is with developing a habit of praise it's a daily commitment it is every day deciding, determining that today, today, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't look at regret about yesterday. Today, say, to, I'm going to commit to a habit of praise today. And then tomorrow, do that again. And then the next day, do that again. That's why, we've been, that's why we've been exploring this whole thing, this rooted experience for the last 10 weeks. Because we've been looking at those three areas, those three areas that are essential to developing a habit of praise, daily connecting with God, daily connecting with God. And I know that that might seem um, a little bit arduous to some of you, you know, the thought of reading through the Bible, because not always do we understand what it's saying, and and it it seems a little dry at times, Um, but I guarantee if you put that Bible in your lap every single day, if you make a daily commitment to do that, you know what's going to happen You're going to one day be like, I really like this. I really need this. So connecting with God and then connecting with others. I know that that can be a daunting task as well, the idea of, of reaching out to other people because many of us are introverts and we like the company of ourselves and nobody else. Or maybe the thought of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, that that intimidates you, that scares you. I get it, I get it. But when you daily commit to being available, we talked about that, remember, a couple weeks ago where we said that God, he's not interested in syncing his calendar with yours, He's not looking to inconvenience you, but because of the way we set up our days and our calendars, we are often inconvenienced when God reveals to us the time and the place that he wants to use us. And so it's daily saying, God, whatever. Open that up to me. Show me who you want me to connect with. Show me who you want me to reach out to. Show me who you want me to, to share the gospel with, and I will do it. Daily committing to that possibility. And then you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna start out a little scared. You're gonna start out a little frustrated. You're gonna start out a little drained. But then after a little while, you're gonna be like, oh, I really like this. I really need this. And then connecting with God's purpose for you. Connecting with God's purpose for you. That's tough too. Because you know what that requires? That requires taking the time. That requires committing to resources. That that requires committing your talents to God. But if you do that, if you commit to being used of God based on the purpose that he has specifically and uniquely given to you and designed in you, if you commit to that daily, one day you're going to be like, I really like this. I need this. Just like how a nun wears what she wears sets her apart from the rest of the world, we need to put on a habit of praise daily so that we are set apart. A life lived for Jesus. You see, this is the, one of the fallacies when it comes to the Christian life. Jesus doesn't need your help pointing out to other people their sin. Because when you live your life according to Jesus, when you live to love God and to love others, when you present yourself in an obvious way as a Jesus follower, do you know what becomes apparent to people? Their sin. Not because you're pointing it out, but because God is revealing We need to be ambassadors of Jesus. We are positioned to be the light of the world. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. He says you're the light of the world. People don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As a light, when you are a follower of Jesus, you're a light to the world. And as a light, if you place it under a bowl, it's going to go out. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't say that you're going to lose your salvation, that you're no longer going to be saved, but you're, you're going to live a life devoid of meaning and purpose. What it is that Jesus, that God himself, has set out for you and for the church will be absent. It'll be gone. Not only will that light not be seen by those who need to receive the gift of salvation that only Jesus can can provide, but as I mentioned, that light will go out, and so a flame needs to be exposed. I've had a lot of campfires in my life, and if you've done campfires, you know that there's this tension. There's always this tension, right? Right? between keeping the wood close enough together so the flame keeps going, but then not having it so close where the flame gets snuffed out. A flame needs to be exposed in order for it to burn. And that's that's what it, it is for you and for me as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to expose the light of Jesus to the world. And that exposure is necessary to its continual burn. If we hide that away, it will be snuffed out. But when we expose it to the world and we say, this is who I am, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. I talked to somebody after the first service and we had a conversation and she said, oh, I'm just, I, I love Jesus and, and uh, I, I, you know, I asked her, have you been baptized? She said, I was sprinkled when I was an infant and I told her, you know, I get it. That's, a great, that's, I, that's, that's a, a great way that I'm sure your parents wanted to dedicate you to God, but the Bible says that we are to be baptized after we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we're to be baptized by immersion and that it's an outward symbol of what God has done inwardly. And her eyes lit up, and I said, we're doing baptism tonight. You want to get baptized? And she said, yes. So she's getting baptized tonight. We need to be the light of Jesus to a world. We need to expose that light, and when it's exposed, it will burn, and it will burn bright. I remember in college, uh, I went to Moody Bible Institute for a little bit of time, and uh, it was right there in downtown Chicago, and uh, there was one night where uh, the Burger King, just a couple blocks down the road, um, lit on fire. And it, it was this huge fire. And what was amazing to me is a bunch of us from the college, we actually, we actually went um, a couple of blocks down the road and, and then watched this this fire as they attempted to try to put it out and get it to the point where they couldn't and they just had to let it burn. But there were hundreds of people that had gathered to watch this burn. See, that's 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 the amazing thing is when you burn for Jesus Christ, when that flame becomes so obvious to an unbelieving world, people will come from miles away to watch it burn. I want to be a church like that. I want to be so obvious in my life that Jesus Christ is my He's my Savior. He's my King. And I want to be a part of a church that lives their life like that as well. It is a wonderful thing that this church meets the practical needs of people in our community. But we cannot be okay with just that. We cannot help people on their journey to hell. We have to shine the light of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world that desperately needs Him in order to be saved. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so grateful for today for and yet another opportunity that we have to celebrate You and to worship and to pray. And uh, Lord, You are deserving of so much more than we can give, uh, but yet we seek to give You the best of what You've given us. And that is... That is all you ask. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave today and venture into the remainder of our day, and then for those of, of us that are coming back tonight or watching the live stream or the celebration of the baptisms, Lord, we just we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, in profound and powerful ways, Lord, that you would make yourself real in our lives uh, to the point where we, we just we can't ignore where it is that you're leading us. So I guess I'm asking you to, to inconvenience us. I'm asking you to maybe make life a little challenging for all of us by by saying I have something so much greater in store for you. Are you, are you willing? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to connect with me on such a... A profound and, and greater landscape? Are you willing to connect with others and to, and to be led to be there for others in ways that, that I see fit? And, and then are you, are you willing to discover and to live out the purpose that I have uniquely designed for you? That's a challenge. I pray that, that each person in this room and those that are watching uh, and that every person in this church would rise to that challenge and decide for themselves that that's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Tonight, 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 we have the rooted celebration that starts at six o'clock. And uh, we'd love for you to be here for that. You do not have had to have been a part of um, the rooted experience uh, to be here tonight. Um, you can come. We'd love for to have you here. We're going to have worship. Uh, We're going to have baptism, communion, uh, hear a couple stories of what God has done through that experience. Uh, For those of you watching via the live stream or anybody in this room, uh, on Facebook, on our Facebook page, uh, we have a Zoom link, um, and if you'd like to join remotely, you want to go ahead and click on that, and that'll get you connected with our celebration, and you'll be able to see everything that we're doing here tonight and be a part of that. Um, So anyways, we're looking forward to that, and again... Just another reminder, on the 22nd Thanksgiving service and Congregational Life meeting, forgot to mention this earlier, but for those of you, again, watching via the live stream, uh, you can participate in the Congregational Life meeting through the live stream. And if you're a member... You can vote through the comments, and those uh, votes will count, Um, but we would love to have people in-house. We need a quorum in order to make sure that these votes go through, Uh, so we'd love your uh, presence on that night. So love you guys. Hope that you have a wonderful night, wonderful day. God bless.